I'm Mark Reed Edwards, Chief Marketing Officer at HFS. Welcome to this HFS video cast of a discussion between Saurabh Gupta, HFS President of Research and Advisory Services, and two guests from EY. Sumit Dutta, Principal Partner and America's Co-Leader of Supply Chain and Operations, and Matthew Burton, Partner, Europe, the Middle East, India, and Africa, Supply Chain and Operations. So let me hand it over to Saurabh to get things underway. Saurabh. Thanks, Mark, and um, welcome, Matthew and, and Sumit. Thanks for, thanks for joining us uh, today. Thank you. Pleasure to be here, and thanks for hosting us. Yeah, so look, I think, um, you know, supply chain is, has become such a boardroom conversation. Uh, you know, everybody's a supply chain leader now, <laughs> uh, and everybody's a supply chain expert. And I think uh, COVID, shown the light on so many issues in supply chain that, uh, that uh, you know, we've always been there, but now it has elevated to really level and boardroom conversation. So I just wanted to start and ask, perhaps uh, Matthew, you can get us started on how did we get here, right? What, 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 what happened and why and how did we get here? And thank you for the, for the invitation uh, to talk to you today. Um, so I think really there's a, a multitude of factors. So it used to be, you know, supply chain events were, you know, talk, perhaps talk about them as black swan events. You know, the Fukushima, uh, you know, reactor disaster. And, you know, there's, there's all sorts of ones over, over the years. Uh, but then we got hit with COVID. Um, and then just as we were coming out of that, we, we had the evergreen um, ship kind of stuck in the Suez Canal. Um, and then now, you know, much more seriously, we've got the, um, the, the war in, uh, in Ukraine. And, and really these, we've seen a sort of, a, a real sort of pent up demand growing um, in the market. But then at the same time, you've then got these kind of supply shocks that's kind of hitting uh, all around the world, continued kind of rolling, uh, you know, COVID lockdowns, continued imbalance in the supply chain flows. Then you're also seeing kind of compound in the, the, this situation, uh, a level of um, trade policy change. Um, that is seeking uh, ostensibly to, to protect you know, country supply chains from these shocks, uh, whether that's the sort of America first policy, you know, China one roof, uh, you know, made in India, whatever they, whatever, whatever they are. Uh, you then got changes through the OECD, sort of you know, tax harmonization, um, the, you know, client commitments uh, and, and society demands around you know, climate change, uh, ESG sustainability. We've got much higher levels of omnichannel. Uh, it's persisted post-COVID. And so you've got all of these factors working together to cause disruption and change across the supply chain. Um, and those imbalances are now leading to kind of inflation and supply shortage, which has firmly put supply chain as a boardroom topic and leading companies to have to fundamentally revisit how the supply chain is designed. Yeah, no, <clears throat> that's, that's very helpful. Matthew, there are so many of these challenges that have all come together for uh, some, some form or fashion. We recently did uh, a study of supply chain executives and you know there were two things that came at the top there, Matthew and Sumit is, one is transparency and the second is, is resiliency, right? These, these were the top two challenges uh, or initiatives that uh, that all supply chain executives are sort of talking about. I just wanted to understand from a layman perspective, what do these really mean, <laughs> first of all? And, and 
you know, how can enterprises address this? Because they sound simple, but we've been dealing with supply chains for the last 50 years. Why are we still not resilient and transparent? So let, let, let me take that one. And uh, you know, these are, and I think these are great questions. It's a great question uh, in terms of, you know, what does it really mean? You know, with so many buzzwords, what are clients doing and, and what, what, what do they need to do, right? So, so I would say, uh, I think part of the reason why, you know, why these things have come to the fore, I think linking to the earlier question, like what Matt mentioned, I think all of these now are board level topics and there is a board level ask right now on these themes, whether it's enterprise visibility, it's ESG, it's risk, is this whole bipolar world that Matt was referring to, right? And what, you know, what do you do now with supply chain and so on? So I think the A, what's changed, I would say, is you know, these are questions that are now coming from the board down to the operating teams versus you know, the supply chain planning manager, for example, surfacing an idea, right? And I think that's one part of what's changed. I think second, I would say is, uh, I think there's a greater recognition, I would say, partly with boards, but also with management teams that you know, supply chain is actually almost like a new strategy. And again, it's it's part of answering your first question as well, right? But, you know, we do see these two themes coming in and, and why this has now got even more focused. So I think that's, that's one part. I think two, to your point about what does it really mean? I think transparency in this particular context, people want to make informed decisions and want to know hence exactly what exists in my supply chain where. You know, and it's moving from Excel-based and, you know, manual to, to a lot more technology-based right now. And what does resiliency mean? It is to keep the supply chain functioning in the light of all those external shocks that Matt spoke about. And, and we are seeing, as we all know, right, you know, the frequency and the intensity of all these external shocks are just going up, right? I've actually seen this data which shows like economic shocks it used to happen every 20 years. Now we know it happens somewhere between five to seven years. You look at the floodings and you know that happened in Southeast Asia, the Japanese earthquake. You know, we just seem to be beset with a lot more external shocks. So how do you keep the supply chain working? Right? I think that's really what these two terms really mean. Now what are clients doing? I would say three things. There is one to get much more predictable in the supply chain. And this is technology backed functional excellence on every part. How do I run my plans? How do I plan better, et cetera? I think too, there's a big push towards using technology to get visibility and using that then to drive cross-functional processes. So enterprise control towers that many of us know about from clients, right? Connected to IoT devices down at, a, you know, at an individual equipment on the shop floor. I think all of that helps clients now get true on-ground visibility and then drive decision-making around that. In the last, I would say is not just, I think all of this, you know, will get us operational transparency, operational resiliency. There's also a big push towards structural resiliency. And this is where clients are saying, do I need to redesign and re-architect my global supply chain so I can deal with these shocks structurally better, right? So, so hence getting much more predictable with technology back functional excellence, using technology digital to drive these cross-functional collaboration for resiliency and structural changes. That's in summary what clients are actually doing right now. Yeah, no, so that's fantastic. So you, you talked about predictability, uh, how do we become more predictable, you know, digital transformation and also organizational structural changes. But what about mindset itself, right? Uh, I, I think, 
I think that also needs to change. You know, look at the look at the term supply chain itself. You know, I when I hear supply chain, the chain especially doesn't it sort of imply constrained, linear, you know, from input to output kind of a thinking. And I think we all know that we are moving towards more supply networks, right? Then uh, we, we've, we started to talk about circular supply chains, right? Uh, maybe five, 10 years back. And now everybody's uh, looking at how do we, these aren't really not chained processes. These are, you know, interlinked almost like a network. Is there a, is there a mindset shift that we also need to think about beyond all the great points, Sumit, that you made around, you know, how do we become more predictable? How do we leverage digital technologies? How do we make some structural changes? I really think there is. I think you're absolutely right. You know, the, the supply chain implies a sort of linear, linear chain. Um, you know, a supply network would be more uh, apt for today's world. You know, most companies, even where they have got, it is a chain sort of stretched around the world. Actually, there's a whole ecosystem of, of suppliers, um, you know, contract manufacturers, own manufacturing facilities, um, you, know, uh, you know, companies they work, third parties they work with for, kind of for logistics, uh, and then their actual, you know, customers. And all sorts of different routes to market. There's been an absolute explosion in, in the kind of complexity uh, with sort of the new channels, uh, you know, omni-channel home delivery, etc. Um, but it's not just in, in the actual physical network. You actually look at some of the process thinking as well. You know, we, we've still got many companies, uh, you know, with a sort of monthly SNOP cycle that is sort of designed around batch process mentality. You know, it's a step at a time. Almost, I was designed before, you know, the desktop PC was even, you know, even commonplace. Uh, and yet with actually modern technology and modern thinking, you can, you can do these, these operations much, much more concurrently. You look at customers at the other end, their view has changed dramatically. They, they were quite happy with, you know, delivery next week. Now it's kind of delivery in the next hour. So there's absolutely got to be a shift. They're thinking much more about this sort of network ecosystem, um, much more about kind of concurrent processing, you know, thinking of the idea of a, perhaps a kind of value stream manager that looks across the end-to-end -end rather than individual silos. And so that, that mindset change has got to pervade the way we work. And the way we operate the supply chain as well needs to move. Probably the best analogy would be um, the way modern, modern aircraft work. They're now so complex that you have these fly-by-wire systems so that they can trim the aerolons and adjust the flight. They still need a pilot to control them. And in fact, you'd be very, very thankful if, if you're on the, uh, on the plane that ended up in the Hudson Bay because there was a pilot, but there was still fly-by-wire. And actually, the modern supply chain needs sophisticated systems. There's too many connections, too many different permutations going on for a person to manage it on a spreadsheet. Uh, and the sooner companies kind of get to grips with that and start to start to think about that kind of fly-by-wire operation and bring in sort of cognitive capabilities to support the decision making, uh, the better off they will be. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. And you know, one of the one of the big reasons for this ecosystem or the network mindset is also you know, sustainability uh, or ESG more broadly, because, uh, you know, sustainability and supply chain are inseparable in, in, in my mind, at least uh, today. And, you know, there's another study that we were doing, and this was with procurement professionals. Um, and, you know, 90% of them said that, you know, sustainability is very important, you know, it's right up there, et cetera, et cetera. 
but when we asked them, so are you going to lead it for your organization? That 90% dropped to 30, right? <laughs> and and you, we all know, sir, you know, in surveys, everybody wants to look good. So I, I, I suspect that that 30 is probably even lower in, in reality. So why this dissonance, right? Why, why is, how do we get to solve or even attempt to solve some of these sustainability challenges? Because we can't just wait for this thing to happen, right? It's, it's, our, it's our planet, it's our earth. Uh, um, how, what, are, what are you seeing on the field? Absolutely, I'm happy to take that one, uh, sort of. so, so, you're, so you're right, by the way, in terms of the, the, the challenge that you just described, right? I mean, we are seeing that as EY with all of the clients that we're supporting. Uh, and we just, uh, we just concluded as well a global survey of, uh, you know, of practitioners and had a similar outcome like you know, what, what you just described, right? So I would say three takeaways. I think, I think exactly to your question, you know, why do we see this challenge? You know, we, we see this interesting thing where most organizations have declared a vision. There's a 2030 vision. But, you know, what's actually the big stumbling blocks that we can see is, you know, is one, the portfolio of initiatives that exist today for organizations to execute on are just not backed with the kind of business case that would make it work, that would make it work with the board and others, right? So the ROI just doesn't exist, tangible, intangible, and so on. And two, visibility is extremely poor on how am I actually doing? And like we all know, right, what, what doesn't get measured doesn't get done and vice versa, right? So, so I think that's one part of what we realized was actually holding companies back, right? The lack of portfolio, lack of ROI-backed initiatives and, uh, uh, and visibility. In terms of you know, what they can do to take it forward, what we are advising clients and what we are seeing the best companies are doing is, I would say, taking a much more expansive and a pragmatic near-term view to this. And what I mean by that is follows. I think number one, organizations are saying, listen, we just need to set, you know, we need to get visibility first where we are. Two, set some real science-based targets. I think three is to move from just focused on cost optimization or resiliency to a lot more on intangibles. And this, I think, is a big unlock. How does this help my brand? How does, it, how does this help my people in a very real way? Four, organizations are moving from looking at just procurement, which is where it started, to saying, now this is an end-to-end -end topic, right? Which means, how do I design my products? Where do I source from? Where do I sell? And so on and so forth, right? And then finally, you know, to make the business cases work, there are tax incentives and so on, right? So do I leverage that? So. I would say in summary, organizations which are actually capturing all five of these are the ones which are really moving the needle forward. So it's a balanced scorecard. Correct. It's a balanced scorecard, a balanced portfolio of initiatives and knowing how to, it's like the change management that you spoke about, right? How do we make sure the mindset change management is handled right from the working executive to the board level? So, so given I have both you gentlemen here, uh, you know, so Matthew lead North America, uh, Matthew, you lead uh, Europe, if Africa, India, parts of Asia, uh, what is EY doing, uh, you know, to help clients on this journey? Uh, would love to hear, you know, maybe an example uh, that you feel could be a role model, right, uh, for for other companies to. Uh, to address this 
plethora of challenges that we are facing around around supply chain. So, would love to hear maybe one example, one from you, Matthew, one Sumit, from also from a geographical perspective. Matthew, you want to start? Um, yeah. Okay. Let me. Uh, so, so I think. Um, I mean, a, a good example. Um, Currently, we work with. Uh, so, it's a major consumer goods company. Um, and they they recognised that the, the world was you know, changing a lot, um, and they, they, their their portfolio across Europe, you know, highly complex, um, and so they asked us to come in and, and sort of do a an outside in review uh, of their whole of their sort of European um, supply chain, and that was both looking at the sort of physical network, but also kind of how they operated, and the reason for asking us to, to look at with a sort of outside in lens was to avoid getting stuck in the sort of current paradigms of, of how they operated. They really sort of challenged the status quo. And I think in taking that mindset and being open to, to challenge, we were able to help them find a, a different way of looking at their, their footprint, uh, which, which products that they were outsourcing for production, what was in-house. Uh, and we, we uh, reviewed the sort of portfolio, the bit of materials, you know, we harmonized and simplified that that then led to be able to kind of um, unlock opportunities in, the, in their footprint, challenge their sort of manufacturing efficiency. Um, and by kind of creating a, a, a much more sort of concentrated network that then had ripple on effects because then you could make sure you're filling the vehicles that are moving from, from the factories to the markets you know, and thereby sort of you know, re reducing um, the sort of road miles. And so you had these sort of knock on effects by, by taking this holistic look um, now there's yeah you know, with all things like that you know you, you can probably kind of sense in there that, that, that you know that there was you know, um, some, a factory that got closed for example um, but actually rather than just looking at that they looked at their business holistically um, and they then took on the challenge uh, and this they did themselves of like well what do we what else do we need to do what else can we do and so rather than that just becoming a, a facility that got closed that was then developed into a, uh, a brand new um, state-of-the-art plastic recycling facility, you know, creating new jobs and work and actually adding to their sustainability credentials. Um, and so I think, you know, when you look at these things in the round with fresh eyes and fresh lens, facing up to the challenges that we've been talking about all the way through this, through this conversation, then there are some breakthroughs that can be made. Maybe uh, actually the same theme and just to share an automatic example and a personal client example, Sarah. Uh, a client I worked with extensively, again, in the consumer space, uh, their food and food processing. And we've been through to what I was to, you know, to one of your questions earlier, right, on supply chain transparency, resiliency, and so on, what an organization is doing. We've actually been working with them on all three. And this is what the clients, what the client has been on. So I think, you know, there's stuff that they've done on predictability, on this whole, you know, cross-functional resiliency, and then on structure. Uh, the whole predictability side, you know, a big push in their case, we diagnosed and they realized that it was primarily led from the plants, from the manufacturing side. So there's been a, a big effort to take almost a hundred plants that they have at different scale and size across businesses, business divisions in North America. And what we are doing is bring our own manufacturing excellence capability. It's called IWS. We, you know, we work with PNG. We we bring their uh, capabilities out to market, and we are helping the client in in just revamping the quality of their manufacturing process excellence, and that is driving a whole bunch of predictability through the supply chain. 
right? Uh, so I think that's one part. It's a, it's a huge effort. Uh, I think the second one in terms of, you know, using operations as using digital, uh, we, we have worked with a client to create a roadmap and rolling out a whole digital factory, a digital manufacturing program, which once again, given manufacturing is so centric, it, you know, we have created like a, a manufacturing control tower, which is helping them have decisions and discussions across the function. Uh, at the same time, we've also worked with them on an, on an autonomous planning. So to get much more streamlined in, you know, uh, in the agility of the planning process. And the third one on the structure side, you know, we, we worked with the clients and this actually was almost the stand. We worked with the clients to say, and the client led an effort to say, what is my right supply chain design? And design meant we started out with, you know, what are the archetypes of products and customers that they actually work with? How do you best service them? And then you look at your entire portfolio of assets and almost take a clean sheet view. You say, I don't, I'm not encumbered by the current assets, but if I had to design my entire network from scratch, how do I do it? And that actually, that was almost the start of the exercise. And then it informed us what we needed to be predictable and then our digital technology, right? Those are the kind of journeys that our clients are on and where, you know, we, we are, uh, you know, honored and lucky to be part of and enabling that whole transformation. Yeah, I think I think those are great examples, Matthew and Sumedan. And I think they both of them, if there's one common theme that I, I saw is this notion of being holistic, this notion of looking at end-to-end. -end. Uh, you know, supply chain is one of the most siloed functions, right? <clears throat> there's planning and there are five parts within planning and there's manufacturing and there are 20 parts within manufacturing then you and so on and so forth. And I think what I took away from both of you is this, concept of one supply chain or what we at HFS call the one office, right? Wherein you, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're front office, back office, middle office, wherever, whatever office, there's only one office that matters and that's the office that caters to the customer, right? And I think if you, if you can look at that holistically, um, you know, that might give you some, some solutions. Uh, so look, my last question, I don't want to let both of you go away uh, without asking this question is, are we heading into a recession? Um, yes or no? And, uh, you know, with so much doom and gloom out there, <laughs> what's the one ray of light that uh, you'll share with, with the enterprises? I think that's a, um, it, a little flippantly, if we're not in recession, then we must be headed for one. Uh, but on a more serious note, I mean, I think we should, we should let the uh, economists uh, determine whether or not we're going into recession. I think from a supply chain perspective, right now there is um, there are a lot of challenges to deal with, recession or no recession. There's still quite a lot of pent-up demand to, to work through, and I feel, think there's still a lot to be uh, optimistic about uh, regarding regarding supply chain. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> yeah, so I think... Fully echo with Matt on the first. If I could predict a recession, you know, I would probably be in a different profession. <laughs> but, but that said, I think, you know, I think our role and what we are, what we have to help clients with is to be prepared for an eventuality. Uh, and the eventuality in this case, you know, if, if it doesn't hit us, then, you know, we have to be prepared for growth. But in the eventuality of a recession, at least there are three things that, you know, we are working with clients on. Uh, one is, to be much more agile or much more nimble from a cost front, uh, right? Or lean on a cost front, sorry, right? And 
look at across the whole value chain, where can we see a rapid cost takeout, right? You know, that will help us be much more uh, margin efficient when we get in. I think too, I think this whole nimbleness and agility that organizations learned through COVID, you know, making sure that's actually embedded in the organization's DNA in the working process, because that will help differentiate organizations in a recession versus their competitors. And I think the last one is prioritizing exactly where do you invest in capabilities, which is always a counterintuitive thing. But as we all know, right, organizations, best organizations actually invest in some through cycle capability during the worst of times. And even the recession, sorry, even the COVID period showed us the whole digital divide that opened up between companies. So helping clients prioritize and figure out where to invest. It's a capability, it's a digital and so on, so that they'll be better post the cycle, post the recession if it happens. Those are the areas that you know we are working with clients on. Yeah. So thanks for answering that very diplomatically and very eloquently, <laughs> Sumit and, and Matthew. But look, this was a terrific conversation. So thanks again, both of you. I think if there are two or three takeaways that I have, one is that you know, digital is now horizon one. You know, it's essential for survival. It's no longer some you know, some sci-fi that we can kick the can down the road for two or three years. It, it needs to be done now, today. I think what I also took away is this concept of the one office or that holistic transformation where technology alone is not gonna solve for everything. You need to look at your organization structure. You need to look at your talent pool. You need to look at the broad, uh, you know, overall supply chain. And then this third and probably very impactful was this discussion around you know changing the mindset from linear constraint thinking to ecosystem uh, you know i think some of you both of you actually mentioned this notion of profit with a purpose you know especially as it comes to esg and that can only come in when organizations that are like minded combine uh, you know uh, join hands together to solve for common good. So, I mean, thanks a lot for, for taking out the time. This was very, very useful. Um, back to you, Mark. Yeah, thanks very much, Saurabh, Summit, and uh, Matthew. Great discussion. To learn more about HFS, head over to hfsresearch.com, where you can view most of our research for free. Plus, we have a growing library of video casts, just like this one, that you can take with you wherever you go. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next HFS video cast. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Saurabh. Pleasure being here with you and a great conversation. Thanks once again.